Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Awfully glad that we are going to have this time together. I'm looking forward to the hour ahead. Todd Mulliken is my guest. He's in our studio, so we'll be bringing him on in just a minute or two. I just want to be encouraging you uh, for more and consistent prayer in your life. It's the pulse of life just to be in prayer. I don't ever go outside and look up at the full moon on a crisp fall evening and go, wow, am I incredible. I am just so aware that, that I am me and God is God. And if I go to him, he will unburden my heart. He will listen to me. And if I let him, he'll reshape my life. And I just think prayer is not automatic. I remember the disciples saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. I mean, it's something that you have to learn. But keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it going. That's my words of counsel and wisdom for the day. The rest of the council is going to come from Todd Mulliken, who's in our studio, and he's got a new book coming out, which we're going to chat about if we have time. We might have time, but uh, it's called Being Right Versus Being Liked, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. So you know what it's like when Todd's in the studio. He's a regular guest, and if you have questions about relationships, maybe you've got something brewing right now that you need some answers uh, on, let us know what it is. We'll take anything. Um, any relational question, anything you got going on, maybe it's an argument you were in this week and you still don't know how to figure it out and you, uh, you were trying to be right and you wanted to be right because you were right and now you still got problems. Let us know what they are. We've got the text line open, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If you're a regular listener to the show, you might just want to Put that in your speed dialing program so you can just go to Faith Radio and, and hit that number and then you can um, you can call or you can send a text. Make it real easy. We'll take 60 seconds and be right back. Be encouraged and equipped at the start of every day through the Faith Radio verse of the day. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com under the subscriptions tab. And when you do, a daily email will be sent to you containing biblical hope and encouragement. You can also text the word VERSE to 555-888, and an email link will be sent to you. That's VERSE to 555-888, helping you stay grounded in God's truth. Faith Radio. There are pictures everywhere pointing to God's story of life. The leaves, once vibrant, fall and die. But it's not the end. Spring will come. Welcome to Faith Radio, where every message and conversation points to the life giver. So if it feels like autumn in your life, you can find hope here and inject your soul with spring, no matter what the calendar says. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. My guest in studio is Todd Mulligan. He has had 30 years of clinical experience. He's the owner of Mulligan Counseling Center in Edina. ToddMulligan.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N is his website. You can go see his picture and learn about 
writing and his services and all that. So, uh, Todd, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, nice Appreciate job on it. this new book you got coming out. It's Thank not you. quite out yet, but I does doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Awesome. Being Love right, to. being right versus being liked. All right, it's a challenging title because we get into arguments because we we think we're right and we want to be right. So, how's that work out? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at the risk, what I was noticing early in my counseling practice is uh, this with couples is that one person would be pretty good with the truth of Jesus and maybe lack some of the grace part. And their spouse would be pretty good with grace, but would have a hard time speaking truth. So I saw that pattern. Mm-hmm. I mean, once in a while I would have two truth tellers together. What was that like? That's really interesting. I bet sparks are flying, aren't they? Ready for them on site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes, very rarely, you'll have two pleasers together because they can't make a decision. Right? Hey, would you like to come to counsel? Oh, I don't know. How do you think? Mm-hmm. See it? Well, maybe. Does a truth teller look for a grace person, or does a truth teller look for another truth teller? I don't know if they really look either way, but okay. they'll they don't mind either way. Mm-hmm. I mean. And again, I think that this is really important to understand about the book is that all, whatever issues you and I are talking about, there's, a, especially in the mental health world, there's a continuum, there's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody could be mildly controlling all the way to severely narcissistic. Mm-hmm. That word keeps popping up more and more. And I know you talk about it in your book. So let's talk about what narcissism is and what it is not. Well, believe it, there's not, believe it or not, there's only nine symptoms, not 235. Well, that makes it easier. <laughs> so you can do a diagnostic pretty quickly, can't you? You can. Mm-hmm. And so we have what's called narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. It's one of 10 personality disorders currently. And there are nine symptoms. And to meet the criteria, someone has to have at least five of these nine. Mm-hmm. So in that spirit, you know, we could have somebody in our story where... They have one of these nine traits, so that can be difficult mm-hmm. and hard, but, you know, it's a trait. It's not the disorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <clears throat> what I'm seeing more and more of these days is, well, all these different types of narcissism are popping up now. And so I'm not here to, you know, get judgy on all of that. I'm just here to say that I think... Still, at the end of the day, the lifetime prevalence of narcissistic personality disorder is 0.5% to 1% of the population. So it's, we talk about it more, and it's still a lot of people. You That's know, a lot of people. 1% of the population is a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to do a diagnostic on me regarding narcissism, am I the one that responds to your questions, or does someone else have to observe who knows me and say, no, he's that, he's that? Mm. How does that work? Because if you said, well, give me a, sa- a sample of a narcissistic behavior. Yeah. So, let's see if I'm answering your question right here. It's like typically like a severely narcissistic person usually wouldn't come into counseling. Okay. Unless they're served divorce papers or yeah. unless their kid is saying, I won't talk to you unless you get help. So usually, you know, and actually at any real severe mental health disorder, usually people do not think they have it. So it makes okay. sense. So like it you, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You said there are nine symptoms or right. nine traits. Yep. So, so throw one out. Sure. The first one is this, uh, the, this concept of embellishing. That's this. not me. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I'm all for one. That's, that's my spouse. That's my friend. That's somebody yeah. else. Yeah. 
So defensive reaction. <laughs> it's like, ah! right? Yeah. So they, they expect to be acknowledged for things greater than actually happen. Yeah, but you if know, someone was sitting in the room with me that knows me well, they go, yeah. oh, he's an embellisher. Yeah. And, right? Right, because so, now you're speaking to the fourth symptom, which is an excessive need to be admired. That's not me. Right, <laughs> which means they are also hypersensitive to criticism. <laughs> right? It's like any type of, uh, this, like... This interview is over. What do we got out? <laughs> Rebecca, what else do we have for the show <laughs> today? Else on the show? Give them the hook. I'm liking this. <laughs> oh, okay. It's so oh. revealing. No, it's not. <laughs> oh. You're not like that, Bill. No, thank Correct. you. So I'm just trying to... Because if you think you're a narcissist, you're probably not. So right. that's good news. I'm just trying to figure out if you're doing a diagnostic, though. Do you need someone mm. alongside yeah. that knows you, loves you, cares about you, and is, it looks out for your best interest and is able to tell you the truth, which is, you know what? You do embellish stuff. Yeah, and that's hard because oftentimes, as a book talks about, the person that wants to be liked doesn't want to disappoint that person. Mm-hmm. And so they might avoid the mess mm-hmm. of sharing that. Okay, give me another um, narcissistic so trait. We talked to, so number one is embellishing. Number four is excessive need to be admired. Number two, it, well, number two is kind of like, okay, it's like, it's preoccupied with fantasies of power, brilliance, success, beauty, or ideal love. Mm-hmm. And so there's usually a preoccupation with something like that. Where did these thoughts originate? Where did these ideas come from? You know, the, the origins of narcissism, in my experience, and I write about it in this chapter, are either somebody who's been bullied, abandoned, shamed, neglected, or somebody who always got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So you usually have one of those extremes. So out of that... Let's go with a person who always got what they wanted. Well, they just get what they want, and they're always right, and they are never wrong, and mm-hmm. this is what is true, and if you don't agree with me, then there's something wrong with you. If they were bullied, then now they are very hypersensitive to any situation that feels like that at all, and in that squishiness, they will bully. Mm-hmm. So now they're overcompensating for the trauma they grew up in. And so you see a lot of that, too. Yeah. <clears throat> Would an only child be more susceptible to being a narcissist? Because if you got one kid, don't you give him everything? It kind of depends on the parents. I just yeah. gave a talk on birth order to a mom's group. And oh, nice. the onlys are fascinating because they're like the firstborn uh, times three. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, they're loyal, conscientious, grow up fast. Yeah, right. You know, but if you think about it, they're the one without a sibling, obviously. So that sibling dynamic is not there. So the, the parents... You know, let's say the parents are really struggling and just are very neglectful. Then mm-hmm. that kid's got a lot of, you know, struggles. Let's say they're just doting, 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 you know, too right. much entitlement. But they, then, yeah, they don't but, have to share anything, though, with other siblings. Right. So they don't, again, they don't mind being on their own, so they're very independent. Yeah. So worst case scenario, they shut down and don't let anybody in. Yeah. Best case scenario, they're very comfortable in their own skin and let's do a lot of things and in a way that feels comfortable and I'm mature and I know what I'm doing and I'm conscientious and I'm loyal and right. I'm for you. So, you know, lots of yeah. wiggle room there. Because there were eight kids growing up in, in my house and I was always the seventh or eighth kid to use the piece of dental floss. Oh. You want to talk about that? No, or? I don't. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to go there tonight. I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> no, thank you. Oh. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, lots more with Todd Mulliken. He's in studio, and we're talking about uh, his new uh, soon-to-be-out book called Being 
right versus being liked. So if you've got a question, uh, let us know what it is, 877-933-2484. Maybe you uh, have someone who's narcissistic in your life, or maybe you've got a question about someone who you think might be a narcissist. You can call and ask Todd. He'll answer it for you. We'll take a short break and be right back. to win every disagreement with your spouse or partner? Do you tend to avoid conflicts with your family? Do you tend to build resentments or release them? Do you tend to adjust what you say to your significant other based on how you think they will respond? Hmm. You might want to uh, think about reading Todd's book when it comes out. It's not out quite yet, but it's called Being Right Versus Being Liked. The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. Todd is a uh, uh, counselor, as the owner of Mullican Counseling Center in Edina, and it's toddmullican.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. So, Todd, as I we talk about narcissism, you say there's nine traits of narcissism. We've talked about three, I think, three or four maybe. Mm-hmm. I'd like to keep covering these. These are interesting. Sure. So we left off at number two, but we covered number four. Number three, that's one where they believe they're special and you just don't understand really what's going I'm on. I'm unique. Yeah, I'm very unique. Yeah. If you just ask me, you know, kind of thing. Right, right. right. So yeah. it's, and it's, it, you know, we all name drop, right? But they really name drop. Mm. And so. They're and, trying to buoy up their significance. What are they doing? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot of people feel they, they love themselves, you know, but actually if you like who you are as a child of God, then you're content and confident, mm-hmm. not arrogant or insecure. Mm-hmm. So they, the ninth symptom, for example, is they have arrogant and haughty attitudes. So the third is they believe they're special. They kind of come off in a condescending way. You know, you ask them what time it is, they tell you how to build a watch, right? Yeah, you ask, yeah. You, you share a story about yourself, and then they bring it back to them for an hour and a half. Mm, yeah. So it's it's kind of that, I've always said their capacity to love is not as great as their need to be loved. Mm-hmm. But created in the image of God, child of the king, we are kind of special. We are a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, but how does it... Well, ideally, right? And this is, again, the truth, my experience is the truth is somebody that has one trait of narcissism or is mildly controlling under stress mm-hmm. will get that. You know, they'll understand that in their quiet time and receive the fact that, oh, yeah, I was kind of harsh there. My need to be right was louder than my capacity to understand and be for my spouse. Mm-hmm. But if somebody has that severe illness, they're not even asking that question. Instead, they're taking their faith and making it all about them. You know, they're flaw-finding mm-hmm. their pastor on Monday morning and saying, here's what's wrong with you. And, yeah. you know, they're always looking for what's wrong with others. Yeah. I, I, I love going through these traits. Do narcissists ever recover and lose some of their narcissism? Again, I think it's not one size fits all. Okay. Right? If, they, if they got all nine, but we don't see that very much at all. Okay. They got one, sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, it's, again, a lot of it depends on the severity. And that's why with our new you know, diagnostic statistical manual, that'll be, there's going to be an update coming out pretty soon, actually, not a new one, but an update of the last one. It'll, 
it starts to talk about mental health issues on a spectrum, like mm-hmm. we do with autism. Uh, Interesting. So we're going to see more and more of that, I think. Yeah. Because it just makes sense. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, we everybody gets put into a box and labeled in a way that's uh, that right. judgy and labely and yeah. throwing stones. Right. Yeah. All right, give me another. Okay, so number four, as I mentioned, is an excessive need to be admired, mm-hmm. which means they're also hypersensitive to any criticism. Number five is a sense of entitlement, and they expect automatic compliance to their wishes, yes. and they expect extra favorable treatment. So this is really big during the holidays, where, hey, this is when we do Christmas, mm-hmm. and this is when we expect you to be here. And, you know, so they don't, narcissistic people don't make requests, they make demands. They don't say, hey, here's my take on it. How do you see it? Mm-hmm. Right. The grace-based people will do that. They'll, they'll be more deferential, you know, and hopefully in a healthy way. <clears throat> so, yeah, they're kind of top-down, need to be right. So that entitlement is pretty loud. That's a fifth symptom. And it comes mm-hmm. out with, you know, expecting automatic compliance. So you don't comply with my wishes and you're against me. Right. So mm-hmm. a lot of times people that are really deeply controlling, they'll think when their spouse, when their adult child disagrees with them, they'll feel disrespected by that. Instantly, I bet. Instantly. Yeah. Thin skin, there's no skin left from the way they were bullied. There was never skin to begin with because they're always good. It was always somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. Hey, that wasn't your fault, Johnny. That was uh, the teacher's fault. Or, hey, you know, you did poorly on that because the professor doesn't know what they're doing. Or, you know, versus no, you just didn't do well. Right. Now you got to do better next time. Well, let's just back up a little bit, Todd, because when you're talking about people who don't deal with uh, rejection or criticism, you didn't say rejection. I think you said criticism. Mm-hmm. I think that represents a whole lot of people. True. Right. So you'll get that all over the place, but I'm just saying it's really noisy with narcissistic oh, people. Gotcha. You know, you just can't, you can't disagree with them. That's why the pleaser type, if they're with somebody that's really that way, they go, well, it's not worth it anyway. Mm-hmm. I'll just keep that to myself and... Oh, by the way, I'm going to go to this resentment bank that I opened up yeah. 10 years ago on a Tuesday, and I'm going to put more money in there. Right. So if somebody wants to, if they think they're right, and you bring a differing opinion, and they say, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to cut this thing off because obviously it's, you're, you're not, you're not right. Then they go away. Then what do you do? Yeah. I mean, so, that seems to be a pattern. Right. So then ideally, as I write in the book, what the, the pleaser gets to do is they get to start being assertive and they don't they shouldn't overcompensate in the second half and become a bully themselves. <laughs> they get to be more honest, though, versus, well, that wasn't that big of a, you know, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one's OK to let go of. Okay, well, no, and they don't really let go. Mm-hmm. They build resentment. So they need to make sure they realize, well, I need to share what's on my, my, on my mind, too. And that's what I talk about at the end of the book is some antidotes. How do, how do we come towards each other in Christ? And how do we be for each other and find that 50-yard line together? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, um, what's another trait? So another trait is... about six. Yeah. So number six is this. Uh, they, at the end of the day, they will exploit. Now, some people, you know, severe narcissists are premeditated in their exploitation, right? They are looking ahead to situations and they're going to get what they want when they want it. Mm-hmm. People that are mildly controlling, maybe have one trait or they're mildly controlling, aren't waking up every day saying, who am I going to exploit? But at game time, they might do what they got to do to be right. <laughs> okay? They might turn the tables on the person. They might be a last word Lorraine or a last word Larry. Mm-hmm. And they just want to get that last word in. And So that's that sixth symptom of exploitation, needing to be right, 
manipulation. The seventh is an unwillingness or a lack of capacity to empathize. That's the biggie. That's a big one, isn't it? It is. And what's hard about that, Bill, is like now I've seen, I think it gets overshot where, you know, if somebody is more pleaser-based but they're a little frosty because they've been a pleaser for 150 years, now they're kind of spitting tacks. And now Mm -hmm. if somebody doesn't agree with me, then they're a narcissist. I mean, so... Or this person doesn't agree with me, so they're not empathizing with me. Mm-hmm. Versus, no, we can have different views. And we can learn how to come reason together, as the scriptures say. So I think a lack of empathy really means the person does, is not, does not have the capacity or desire to put themselves in the other person's shoes. Mm-hmm. And the controller, if they're not careful, will really come off like that. Because their need to be right doesn't provide an environment. And then the, But the pleaser early on in the dance usually doesn't say anything. So the controller doesn't think there's anything wrong. They just think, well, that one, that went pretty good. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that issue of parenting, okay, that went okay. Whereas really the takeaway, the pleasers going, that did not go okay. And I'm not going to talk about it, but that didn't go okay. So that's a pattern I see very, very early on with couples. And we want to make sure we're addressing that so we don't get a bunch of loose change that comes out 20 years later mm-hmm. where the pleaser is so done and the controller is going, geez, I thought we were fine. Yeah. Tell me if I lack empathy, Todd. You picked up a little bit of a cold on your trip to San Diego. I'm, indis- I'm indifferent to your pain and suffering. <laughs> well, you're in touch with that. That's yeah, good. I am. Yeah. I'm glad you're aware of that. San Diego, is the first and you step. got, you know, so... Oh, 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 so I said San Diego, yes, and that's where you said San Diego, you got, where you got this little bug. Well, should we talk about the eighth symptom? Yeah, why the don't we? The eighth symptom is being, je- <laughs> being jealous of others. Well, that would okay. be me. <laughs> Or the second half of the eighth symptom, now I, I promise you, you don't do this. Uh, no, I, no, you don't. And that is they think others are jealous of them. Ooh. I mean. I don't ever think that. Right. I really don't. <laughs> I don't think anyone's jealous of me. Right. So, I mean, if you're standing in front of the mirror and thinking of the 23 people that you think are jealous of you, you might want to. People yeah. think that way? Yeah. That's crazy. The narcissist, the, the severe narcissist does. They yeah. really think, hey, people, you know, they just. Who are you, Aaron Rodgers? Seriously. <laughs> to think that way. I mean, I agree. Are you playing at a pretty high level or, I mean, it's just the average person has those kind of thoughts? Or you got spoon fed your whole life or you were bullied and now I'm going to bully. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. All right. We've, uh, and then that, sorry, I was going to say the ninth symptom we kind of mentioned earlier, which is, um, they, they come off with an arrogant and haughty attitude. That's annoying. Yeah. And that's, you know, we know how Jesus felt about that with, he was not pleased with that. No. Yeah. Right. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll come back. Say, open to taking your questions. If you have a narcissist in your life or maybe you're wondering about that, let us know what it is. You can send us a text, question 877-933-2484. I'll say that again slowly, 877-933-2484. My guest is Todd Mulliken, and he is at toddmulliken.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. We'll be back in 90 seconds. in my studio we are complicated people aren't we todd 
Yes, sir. Why? <clears throat> we're just we're broken, sinful. We think about ourselves too much. What else? Yeah, we try to change others that are closest to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we get throw stones and get judgy. Yeah. You know, because we don't just don't, receive that we're loved and it's okay. And Don't we know, struggle we with stuff. everyone who isn't us? Yeah, kind of. We all have, I think, what in social psychology we teach a lot, we all have a self-serving bias where we take credit for our successes and blame others for our failures. Mm-hmm. Here's a listener who says, how would you deal with a narcissistic family member who always talks so loud? Mm. So nobody else can visit and also talks nonstop so others can't easily converse. This person has a very controlling personality. Yeah, boy, that's... Don't invite yeah, them to the, the holidays party. are coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no easy answer to that other than my first boundary that I talk about in the book for the pleasers, because usually the narcissist doesn't need a boundary. They'll just go and blurt something, right? right? So like this person's talking about that the other person does. Um, so ideally, we're having an honest conversation you know, beforehand at some time, you know, if, you know, as Christ did, you had a relationship first, generally. So you have a relationship with that person. You just are able to say, golly, you know, this letting you in to, this is what I've noticed. And what do you think about that? And they'll be very hurt and frustrated. And so then the pleasure will go, that was a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why usually people don't do anything about it and just endure that. Yeah. So there's no great answer, really. It's not like, you know, you, you confront the person, they go, that's such a beautiful thing you shared with me, and let's sit down and pray about that. You know, so <laughs> uh-huh. it usually doesn't go well. It's messy, but kingdom life is messy. So we're not looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. But if the truth is, you know, that is controlling the whole environment and everybody else is walking on glass, then you get to talk about that ahead of time and mm-hmm. just mention that. And yeah, it probably won't go well. But now it's on the table. Right. So now the, the reasonable person who might even be like that. Um, you know, who has one symptom, if you will, of the narcissistic track, they might receive that a little bit. And they might, usually I'll find that person might think about it a little bit. They'll be really frosty about it initially mm-hmm. and judgy and try to win that fight and turn the tables. But then when they go take an emotional shower, you know, they, they will figure it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're severely narcissistic, then they'll go and talk to their spouse on the way home in the car and say, I can't believe that happened. And it's even more of a issue, then that pleaser has to deal with that mess. But I've always said an honest conversation is, is an okay thing to do because obviously that person is not trying to, you know, win that fight or, ju- you know, get, you know, just really shut down that person or trying to let the person in that when this happens, it's really hard for me. Mm-hmm. So I always say, let the other person in versus taking it out on. Them. Yeah. I had that person in a group dynamic that I was a part of and it got to be he got to be so loud and dominating that I said to him, uh, don't take this wrong, but I said, tonight at the at the group gathering, can you try reducing your presence by 33 and a third percent? And he kind of laughed like, oh, like, am I just too, too much? And I said, ah, I just tried toning it down a little. And he did. I don't know if he was, you know, thought I was a jerk for saying what I said. And, you know, that was, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. You did that very well. You were humble in it. And uh, he could or couldn't have received it. But his response is usually what you see with somebody that that might have been one of the first times he was ever told that. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people leave the group going, oh, my word, we have a monopolizer. Yeah, I told him he was funny, engaging, 
clever, people like you, but maybe just try reducing your presence at 33 and a third percent. Yeah. See what happens. Here's a listener. Uh, uh, Tim says, uh, problem with son-in-law. What if the narcissist is causing similar problems with their children? Is it contagious? Yeah. So Ooh. the generational pattern continues. And that, so good, the book does talk about that. What's the name of that three book, <laughs> What's the name of that book that isn't out yet? Oh, I know, right? No, he actually, he wants to know. Being right versus being liked. Being right versus being liked. Okay. The impact. Of, so it'll be on Amazon and it'll be in my website and other places. So, but yeah, anyway. in a couple of weeks or? Yeah, you know? probably probably early November, okay. end of October. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that pattern continues. And so and I, I, I see a lot of folks where, you know, they're people my age in their 60s and they have a, a daughter-in-law or son-in-law that is narcissistic-like or has tendencies of that and... They've married their own daughter or son, and boy, how do we handle that as in-laws? You know, what do we do with that? And and that's really tricky because you want to defer to your daughter or to your son who's married to that person and just let them in and say, Gal, here's what we're experiencing, but what do you think? And and then, you know, defer to them mm-hmm. because they're your son or daughter, but let them in to what that's like for you, what you're noticing, and just have an honest conversation mm-hmm. about it. Do you ever talk to people in premarital counseling and you pull someone aside and say, you're about to marry a full-blown narcissist? No, we'll say that in front of him. Okay, good. You'll say it right in front of him. Yeah, yeah, we'll just do it together and say, hey, here's some traits. Here's what I've been noticing. We need to talk about that. And one of the four things I always do with uh, premarriage couples is talk about their families of origin. Because, you know, what what we bring in really matters. All Mm -hmm. the good things and all the difficult things. Mm Mm-hmm. Because usually what happens in the la-la land phase is that the pleaser type minimizes, avoids, defers. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But they see the storm clouds but don't want to address it. Mm-hmm. How does the gospel come in and, and, and when it's confronted with these narcissistic traits? How does, how does that get reconciled? Well, I do try to go to John 1 and talk about truth and grace and saying, hey, and they, and they get this. Again, again, somebody has all nine symptoms and nobody's home. It's really right. hard. It's almost intervention. It's almost it's long-term therapy, and I talk about that in the book, what happens in severe cases. But again, most people are do not have that. Most people have a handful or just one or are mildly controlling, and they really receive the fact that you get to increase grace. Okay, you've got the true stuff down but all I want you to do after every sentence you have with somebody else when you're done talking is saying, but how do you see it? What's, what's your take on it? Mm-hmm. So you're learning to build empathy in every conversation by actually asking the other person what they think. How hurtful is it when a narcissistic person shows no empathy and you walk away going, I just don't feel that that person really cares about my feelings or even what I went through today? It's really hard. Oh, it's got to be brutal. Yeah, and it just gets it gets worse, and they feel helpless. And the, what I talk about in the book is kind of, before I get to the antidotes, I talk about, well, what eventually happens? And there's three things that eventually happens 20 years in, kind of getting ahead of the story here. But either the pleaser type just gives up and gives in. And we see families like that out there where... When you give in, what have you done? You, you've just resigned yourself to the fact that, well, you know, it could be worse. The kids are at least doing okay. Okay. And, you know, I'm not going to climb that mountain. I'm not going to die on that hill. Okay. I'm just going to defer. And, you know, the kids have talked to me about it. And, yeah. Sounds a little desperate. Yeah. And that's what happens. The second thing is happening more where the the pleaser has a midlife crisis and, you know, over-responds. Do you blame them? What's that? Do you blame them? No. No. But... 
they lose because they end up doing something that nobody would expect. You know, mm-hmm. They end up having that affair, and they end Ouch. up you know, drinking excessively. They end up coping with the pain versus mm-hmm. addressing the pain. And then the third thing is what we're most hopeful about. The third option is, hey, the pleaser type addresses things in real time and changes the rules. And for somebody that's mildly controlling or mild, moderately narcissistic, they will listen like your friend did. Mm-hmm. You know, he did say, oh, am I too much? You know, mm-hmm. and again, uh, when you have those honest conversations early in a couple's story, that matters so much. But usually the couple doesn't have that type of honest conversation. Or when they do, it doesn't go well. And the narcissistic, the controller doesn't mind that it doesn't go well. Controllers don't mind conflicts. In fact, if there hasn't been a conflict for 10 minutes, they'll create one. <laughs> you know? yeah. But whereas the pleaser views, as, views all conflicts as, ooh, you know, because of their, um, the pain they feel under stress. The, the pleaser ends up even having an easily startled response or grew up with you know, a lot of shame or just have a physiological reaction to conflict that makes them want to flee and avoid and shut down. So they don't want to you know, get in the mud and kind of just realize God's with me. It's okay. We're disagreeing. Breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, God is for you. Using your stuff about just praying unceasingly, as Paul says, and let's go and let's get on the other side of this. And I got through it. I'm still alive emotionally. And so the the avoider that I talk about in chapter two has work to do too. Mm-hmm. So you got a couple in your counseling office. I'm just making this up. And he or she says, he always has to be right. She always has to be right. What do you say to that? Well, I would ask them, can I have an example of that? And they'll try to present that. Then I'll ask the person who is being represented by the other person, well, how do you see it? Mm-hmm. You know, so we start to have a dialogue about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we're all very, we're all champions at blaming each other. And, you know, very early on in marriage, we have a good list of the things that are wrong with our spouse and, you know, keep that locked up and, or bring mm-hmm. it out every day. Mm-hmm. So with that person that's, <laughs> with that person that's saying that, you know, I would ask that person, well, let's talk about an example of that. And then their spouse who is in the room, what's your take on that? And then you can kind of tell, are people coachable, right? Are they mm-hmm. saying, yeah, I miss that one. You know, I do that all the time. I miss stuff all the time. I mean, so the person that's really controlling a narcissistic, they never feel like they miss anything, you know, or the person that grew up with a lot of trauma that's a pleaser is going like, hey, I'm, I feel like I gave away too much the first half. Now I'm not missing anything. I'm always right, never wrong. I know for sure this is what's going on. And the, the, my spouse always has to be right. Mm-hmm. So let's just unpack that. Know that God is still for us in this. We're both, we're all three of us that are in the room. Let's try to, you know, come together. And what's the truth about this together? And then you kind of can tell over time, is there some mutual vulnerability, I call it, yeah. towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mutual vulnerability and kindness, mercy, grace. This is all stuff that I think you need, isn't it, Todd? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, before if, that. Yeah. I mean, if somebody always has to be right and they say, you know, John, uh, George Harrison was the first Beatle to die, and you go, eh, actually, John was the first to go. Mm. And the, all of a sudden you get this big argument. And mm. why are we fighting about this? It's all available online. Just Google it. <laughs> right? you know? But I think yeah. it, it, it gets to be an, an attitude or a disposition towards somebody that you're always digging in. And yep. it's like, why? Why do that? Yeah. You know, yep. can't you just go, oh, I think you're, prob- you're probably right. Probably was John that 
died first. And, well, you know, not always, Bill, because it's not one size fits all, but, boy, when that couple is there and there's one person that never acknowledges something, usually when you peel away the onion, the most dominant parent in their life never said they were sorry to them as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going, they're, you know, their post-trauma stuff, their hyperarousal stuff is lighting them up. Yeah. And, boy, they are going to be right. They're black and white thinkers, aren't they? They have There's to no be. gray area. They're, survival, they're in survival mode in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, the survival mode of the trauma mind is trumping what is actually true there, that they get to breathe, they get to have grace, they get to say, yeah, that one was on me, or, you know, that one, I'm really hurt still by what happened. You know, we get to figure it out and get in that squishy truth and grace middle stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that where life mostly is, you know. Yeah, right. But it's, so sometimes the... The pleaser can be vulnerable to overcompensating in the second half because of the pain they've been through. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let me take a little break. Todd Mulliken's in studio. We're having an interesting discussion on his soon-to-be-released book called Being Right Versus Being Liked. I think that represents a lot of people listening, the impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families. We're processing this. If you have a question you'd like to ask Todd, let us know what it is. I will uh, ask it on your behalf. Send me a text, 877 877- 933-2484. We'll be back in 90 seconds. If you have a question for Todd, let us know what it is. Maybe you're involved with someone that has a narcissistic personality or you'd like some clarification on what some of the traits are of narcissism. You can let us know, 877-933-2484. Todd, let's talk about codependency. It's also in the title of your book, The Impact of Narcissism and Codependency on Couples and Families. That's a big, big word, codependency. I yeah, think I know it's been it around means. a long time. I huh? think I know what it means, but don't quiz me. <laughs> oh well, the book says being right versus being liked. So in general, <clears throat> the codependent or the pleaser type, the person that's good with grace, uh, who desires to be admired, as far as you know, they they seek external validation. They they want to be liked, right? Mm-hmm. Their tendency. Who, who doesn't want to be liked? right? So yeah, I yeah. mean that's fine, and yeah. who doesn't want to be right sometimes? So right, yeah. So yeah. it's not like that's all bad news. Right. So again, most of us are in the squishy middle where, you know, we we are for the truth of Jesus and for the grace, but we have usually tendencies under stress, one side or the other. Mm-hmm. So the pleaser tends to be, as the book talks about, taking on the other person's feelings. So the codependent is more vulnerable to taking on the other person's feelings and when they start taking them on their body's going this is doesn't feel good so that usually leads to avoiding the mess versus addressing the mess and it usually leads to the fact that they don't know themselves very well they know all their 33 friends really well or and they're always giving and pouring out and they're you know letting the conversations go with their spouse that maybe don't go that well and they go well I don't want it to be a bad night, and let's just let that one go and let that one go. And so they avoid, 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 avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that avoidance, Bill, those aren't zero-sum games usually. Those are, you know, losses, meaning they take what they take away from that is frustration or hurt. Mm-hmm. So that avoidance is really 
as unhealthy as somebody that's maybe trying to win a lot. So they have to learn how not to adapt to the other person's moods and rather just kind of be what I call inside out. Here's who my authentic self is in Jesus, and I'm just bringing that out. And, oh, yeah, i got to remember in the Gospels, there's a lot of messes, there's a lot of hard things. I just get to be okay with a hard conversation or two. Mm -hmm. So that codependent side, that person wants to be liked, oftentimes early in the relationship is is taking on feelings, avoiding conflicts, doesn't know self well. Worst case scenarios, they'll endure poor treatment or they'll endure abuse in those Mm -hmm. real severe cases. Again, most of the time, it's a couple that one person has a desire to control, one person has a desire to please, and they have to figure that out early. So Mm -hmm. the pleaser type is vulnerable to those things. Yeah. Listener wants to know, does your book address the pleaser who has become very angry over time yes. and is now passive aggressive? Correct. Or maybe straight aggressive, right? Oh, okay. Either or. Yeah. So the pleaser has a harder time in the second half. That's why I talk about in the antidotes chapter, I talk about, hey, the pleaser gets to release resentments. They get to do that. They get to do 70 times 7, not because they're dumb and stupid and naive, but because they get to do that. And they get to say, you know, 12 years ago on a Wednesday when I didn't say what was on my mind, you know, I can blame my spouse for that. I can say, well, I didn't say what was on my mind. And I I took that to the resentment bank, and that's on me, which doesn't mean they have to have shame, but they just get to be more honest and not overcompensate. So, yes, the I always talk about this image, Bill, of Anger Mountain, mm-hmm. where, you know, Proverbs twenty nine eleven says, don't give full vent to your anger. Uh, so a lot of times the controller goes right to the top of Anger Mountain real quick mm-hmm. and they go right back down. Oh, I feel better. Yeah. But it oh. just, whereas the pleaser takes forever to get up there, but once they're up there, they're not moving. Yeah. And that addresses what that person's talking yeah. about there. Let's go back to two years ago on a Wednesday. You, you didn't talk about it, Yep. but you were in the car going to your bowling league and all of a sudden you thought, I don't want to wreck this night. Yep. So I'm not going to bring it up. Yep. Then and, wait, Then I got to be able to say... I'm choosing not to bring it up. So because of that, I'm doing a zero-sum game, throwing that up on the Father's lap. And, you know, I'm not just deferring to my faith as a Linus blanket, but I'm really giving that to God and going, I'm choosing not to address that to my spouse, but I'm going to choose not to build resentment. Mm-hmm. I am going to start choosing to address messes when they are there. I'm not yeah. looking for them. Yeah. So, I mean, we have to make sure we don't default, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to building resentment. That's very painful for people over time. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be important for a couple to be able to create safe space? Oh. So they say, if we're in the car driving somewhere, that that's safe space. You can bring something up and it'll be okay. Because if I don't have an arena in which I can step into and say, this is what's on my mind, uh, because all it's going to do is blow up the car and bowling league's going to go bad. And I already don't bowl well, so... <laughs> This is not going to go well. Right. No, we, we pick we pick our spots and different families, different rules. But the truth is, is like, hey, we know when we do our check-ins a couple times a week, we got to let each other in versus take things out on each other. So when we're on a date, when we're playing in a sandbox, that's not the time to cut open a vein and bring up stuff from mm-hmm. the week where we're just going to haul off on each other emotionally. we mm-hmm. got to create safe spaces to be for each other, but we're not avoiding messes. Okay, we're going to talk about hard stuff too, mm-hmm. but when we're on the way to having a nice time together and playing in the sandbox. We get to do that well. Mm-hmm. Get to do what Paul says, think about what is true, noble of excellence of praise, think on those things. So. You said that really fast. Yeah, sorry. I was trying to get that Just in. repeat it slower. Yeah. Can you? Sure. Did you already forget it? <laughs> 
<laughs> Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Okay. Of course, we could talk about that. Those are just forever, right? Those are forever. Yeah. So 8, you know, talks about being anxious about nothing, but by prayer and petition, give thanks to the Lord, etc. But then Paul says, and then think about whatever is true, noble, mm-hmm. excellence of praise. Think on those things and put them into practice. So we get to do that, too while we're dealing with hard stuff, because then Paul says, and there's a secret in life, really, a couple of verses later, whether I'm in plenty, so marriage is crushing it, mm-hmm. or I'm in want, yeah. I've learned to be content in all things, which doesn't mean passive and avoidant. It just means, yep, here's where I'm at. I know God is for me. I'm loved. I'm going to have that hard conversation tomorrow at two, but we're still going to bowl tonight. Right. Here's a story that starts sad, but ends happier. It's from a listener. I believe my husband was narcissistic, and he emotionally abused me for a couple of years. Thankfully, God walked us through it. And even though I am a pleaser, I was able to confront him and he has since made a lot of changes. Yay. His father, I do believe, is also narcissistic and emotionally abused my husband. There you go. So, right? I mean, that's itself, doesn't it? Powerful story, but I love the transformative movement. I know. She was bold and courageous enough. And she she wouldn't have said that. I know. 10 more years later, you know. I 14 know. resentment bank accounts later Oof. and dad's you know the sins of the father carry down and i love that story yeah that's what it is too it is those transformative moments that can happen and it's a great reminder not to be hopeless no right don't, don't a lot of people come to you feeling hopeless for sure yeah. and you know it's not about it's about you know that's why you know in titus it's the, our blessed hope you know so christ is our blessed hope of knowing that I can confront my spouse after a couple of years. I can't, I get to do that and I get to address the mess and I'm still for him and I'm hurt and here's what's going on. And he, he chose to receive it. He chose to realize, yeah, I don't want to be like my dad. And that's why later in the book, I say from very early on in our marriage, let each other in about our own stuff versus taking it out on each other. Such a huge deal. Mm-hmm. It's much easier if I say to Lori, yeah, I think, you know, I'm doing that because of this and so sorry, you know, that one's on me versus taking it out on her, right? And so that's a great example of a couple where the pleaser said was on her mind and the driver received it, made some adjustments. And boy, you know, the other thing real quick, when the driver makes an adjustment like that in the family, it can like transform the home. <laughs> you know, um, it just automatically creates a place. Now the key for that driver is to continue through what you said to start the show to be prayerful about that transformative movement that he made, that he's choosing to change that generational pattern on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that time of prayer, meditating on the Lord in that, you know, just can't tell you how much that helps create that shift. Mm -hmm. This dear listener said, hi, I feel like I'm listening to my story, even from the past caller's story of my marriage of, for five to six years now, my health has significantly been impacted by my marriage. I believe the stress wrapped wrapped in it all, and we have struggled to have children. I do feel myself closing in, but I don't want to give up all that I have in my marriage. Mm. I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry for those things. Yeah, I don't know what to do. Any advice for her? Well, I, I think it's powerful that she's noticing how you know the that's the other really hard benefit you know hard part of pleasing is internalization of feelings. The body's not happy about that. The body's feeling that, so mm-hmm. we get to try. It to, registers that, doesn't it? It does. It just locks into the bones, doesn't it? Yep. 
So we get to release... What do I know? I'm not the counselor. That's a very powerful, Bill. Yeah, we get to release that out mm-hmm. and come towards each other. And so I invite her into, you know, coming towards and pursuing what, that gently. What practical step could she take today? Because she's in pain. Yeah, to let her partner and her spouse in about the pain she's in. What if he's indifferent? And then then the, let her, let him know about how his indifference really is crushing and sad. And he's sad and he... And she's, I'm for us. I'm just scared. Mm-hmm. I'm hurt. What if he turns against her? Why do you always have to make everything about you? Yeah. I mean, then if that's the pattern. And then now we got somebody that's got a lot of those symptoms we talked about in chapter one. And that's where the person in her shoes would need to get help for more ongoing direction of setting boundaries and asking him to do some counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are, those are harder conversations that evolve. Yeah. So Todd, I, I don't do tons of book previews, but I like you, and you're a regular guest, so uh, how about this? When the book gets done, you come back, and you bring, like, eight copies, and we'll do a drawing. We'll give away eight copies. I love it. And then we'll uh, we'll cover a lot more of the book, because we just got, we just scratched the surface today. Oh, we, thanks We so just much. got started. Yeah. So Todd Mullican's been my guest. Appreciate uh, it. You can go to toddmullican.com, T-O-D-D-M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N.com. Thanks for being here, Todd. Thank you, great. Bill. Yeah. And again, his book is called, it's not out yet, but you can just uh, remember being right versus being liked. The impact of narcissism and codependency on couples and families. We'll take a short break and be back with hour two. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.